A trigger is essentially an open wound. It's an open wound that hasn't healed yet. So think about having an open wound. Like I've got one on my hand right now. Anytime that I rub it up against anything, I feel it. Like that's what a trigger is like. It's an emotional wound. It's still open. It has not healed yet. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Till the Wheels Fall Off. I am Matt. I'm Paige. We are talking triggers today. We've actually done an episode on this, and if you haven't ever heard that one, I would suggest you go back and check that one out. Uh, Our first episode on triggers was more general about life triggers, social media triggers, things that happen in your day-to-day world. Today, we're going to be discussing more of what we focus on here lately anyway, maybe what we focus on from here on out, as because back then we didn't really know what we were doing when we started a podcast. Yeah. But we're talking (laughs) more about triggers in in a relationship where there are drugs and alcohol involved over a long period of time. And I know that coming from me, this is not going to mean nearly as much. So I love these episodes where Paige gets to talk. Why do you say it like that? I love it. I love your input and I like being able to riff off of you versus the other way around. All right. Well, let's get into it then. All right, let's do it. Okay. All right. So, hey, hey, first of all, uh, tell what, us what, where what? this came from. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> okay. What, where the idea came from? Yeah. Okay. So we got context. a lot of, we got a lot of DMs and we've gotten a lot of people in the community that have brought up the fact that they're triggered. And this is for people who are like in recovery. This, their, their partner is sober and they're working on, you know, sobriety and recovery. So we've had people reach out to us and ask us, how do you cope with these triggers? And that's where I got the idea. I made a TikTok. Oh, you did. Yeah. You had a really good TikTok on this. Yeah. And then, and I felt like I wanted to really elaborate on it. So that's where this idea came back. (laughs) I was like, I had a lot to say about this. Behind the scenes, y'all. She spent hours going through this TikTok video, trying to condense it into just a couple of minutes. And I don't even know how you finally got it out because you were so frustrated. Like it's too long. It was too much. Should have just been an episode all along, I guess. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because I had a lot of experience that I wanted to like share. And some of it was like six minutes long. And I'm like, no uh, one's watching that. No one's going to watch this. So then I got it down to like three minutes and it's pretty still pretty long. Yeah. (laughs) It's really hard to get the stuff we talk about down in like one minute. Yeah. But then sometimes I'll do a video and it's like the first recording. I'm like, that's it. That's perfect. I'm letting it out. That's the best. Those are the best. Whenever you just like let it out from the heart. I did have a lot to say about this though. So you want me to get started? Yeah, let's get like, into I, it. Look at how I ask you questions. Like you're the boss. I'm not the boss of this show. That's so much. Or this up. relationship, as a matter of fact. <laughs> no, well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is a trigger? A trigger is something that prompts a strong emotional reaction, often related to a past traumatic experience. So think of like thunder. It might be a trigger for someone who has experienced a traumatic event involving their home catching on fire due to lightning. That sounds awfully familiar. Yes, it does because we had this our happened neighbors to us back in June. Yes, back in June, our neighbor's house um, caught on fire after a storm. So now, when it storms, we do we get pretty triggered. Our kids get tri- triggered and they get a little scared. Um, but this triggers like usually when we talk about triggers, you're thinking about the addict or alcoholic's trigger, right? Yeah, when in the context of triggers, when we're talking about addiction in general. That's like the number one question I get asked when I go to treatment centers. Like, what are your triggers and how do you cope with those? But no one's really talking about triggers from the other side of this. No. So I didn't know what a trigger was until I went to the family education program at your treatment center, which was only, you know, like two days long. Yeah. Right. So I only got two days. They prepared you well, didn't they? Yes, they did. (laughs) But it was about your triggers and how I needed to prepare for you to come home with your trigger. And I was like, what? Okay. That's kind of weird, but whatever. So I didn't know that I was going to have triggers until down the line. Can I say something quickly about family education, treatment centers and things like that? Are you about to go off? Just no, not really. I'm gonna do my best not to, but anyway, so treatment (laughs) centers, the, um, the, the treatment industry in general, I think that this is really important for spouses, family members to understand is that the treatment industry is geared toward getting your loved ones sober, the end, they have very little concern about the health of the family or the spouse afterward. 
they can say that they care, but oftentimes what you will find, even if like there are some treatment centers that give you access to your, your loved one's counselor and families feel really secure about that in the beginning. They're like, wow, like this is, this is great. And some treatment centers do a, a pretty good job about staying in touch, letting you know what's going on, allowing you to express concerns that they will in turn bring up to your loved one who's in treatment and work through some things. But inevitably what happens is that something will occur. The spouse will reach out and then you get crickets or something that you really didn't want to hear come back. And we get questions about that all the time. Like they, they said this and it seems really like they're not thinking about me. And I'm like, no, you're right. They're not. Mm-hmm. If they're paid by insurance companies, like tens of thousands of dollars to get someone sober, that is their focus is to get someone sober. Like they are, while they can be advocates for spouses, they're very poor ones at best, I would say. And they're not really there for you. They're well, they're, just not. Yeah. They're trying to help us help you in a way, Oftentimes. like not enable you. Like, how do we not enable you? How do we, um, stop being codependent? How do we do things like that? But it's really, it's mostly about the addict. Yeah. A lot of the stuff that I hear back comes from counselors, like addiction counselors, LCDCs, um, even some of the, the licensed therapists in these places makes me want to throw a chair because it's a, it's a, <laughs> cause I know what it's doing from the other side. It's like they are concerned with getting the, the addict sober. So they're going to create an environment and encourage you to get on the same page about creating an environment that makes it as easy as possible for them because that is their job. Part of it's because I come from kind of like the ruthless school of accountability is I don't believe in that. I don't, well, it's not that I don't believe in helping people get sober. Like I think you can support someone in sobriety, but I think that there are limits to that. There's a gray area. And sometimes I feel like they, they go way too far and they're really not considering the other person's needs. And it becomes like, like as a professional, how could you provide that advice knowing what it's going to do to them? Mm-hmm. Like you are creating an environment where they now feel responsible for their loved one's sobriety, or you have Ooh. made them like the guardian of it, where you've told them like, you need to breathalyze this person. You need to drug test this person. You need to ask them questions. You need like, dude, no, Make sure you know where they're located. Like Now you've created a, a re- in the relationship, this really strange dynamic where the spouse is like the caretaker and which further instills exactly the stuff we talk about trying to get away from here. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it, like, I don't know, like we're not enemies by any means, but no, I think no, some no. of the stuff that comes out of there is detrimental to spousal recovery. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. Yeah. All right. So we're going to touch on what's going to trigger the partner. Okay. What triggers a partner whenever their partner, their spouse or partner is actually sober and working on a recovery. So, the one thing that I hear the most is the opening of cans. Like That's when, a big one. When people hear a can opening it, they equate it to beer. Um, glasses hitting the counter, like when you put a glass shot on, glass the on a granite counter. Oh yeah, that's I remember that. Remember that, that sound? Oh yeah, I threw away all of our shot glasses when we moved to this house because I was like, I don't like the sound on counters. Dang. And I thought, you know, we don't really need those, so I'm going to trash them. It's true. What and we used to get now? them at vacation spots too. So I think that we had some that I was like. That they were memories. like keepsakes. Yeah, yeah, mementos. Or I whatever. could do with that. I can replace those memories. I was memories. like, no, I'm good with that. We do coffee cups now. Yeah. <laughs> um, the sound of a freezer door opening. The sound of pill bottles. Um, whenever your partner runs errands and they take too long. Uh, ATM withdrawal alerts. People going to work or dinner, like work dinners and events. Certain ringtones. You get triggered by certain ringtones. I get that- triggered by the phone in general. <laughs> I think rings too much. I'm uh, over it. <laughs> uh, walking into the garage. Maybe your partner is sleeping in. All of these are, they, we equate these to a time when it was very uncomfortable for yeah, us. Yeah. These are reminders of behaviors that when these occurred, typically you knew what was going on and it wasn't good. Yeah, there was usually lies. There were tra- there was trauma. There was yelling. There was so much going on in that time. And some people may think that we're crazy when we think of like, oh, I'm triggered by a can opening. Like I haven't personally been triggered by a can opening. I mean, it did like it. It would bring back memories, but it wasn't a trigger. Um, but there are a lot of people who deal with that, and I completely understand. But the outsiders will look at that thinking, "What's your problem?" Or they're like, "Whoa, you're obsessive a little, aren't yeah, you?" Yeah, yeah. But it was a it was about a time when we were hurt. So. You know, it's like when you smell a certain scent and it takes you back in time. Oh yeah, man. I smelled a uh, curve cologne. Remember that? Oh Remember my curve? gosh. And it took me yes. back. It took me back to sixth grade. Yeah. Like immediately. Yes. I could, I could like see myself in the hallway. It was everywhere when we were little kids. Yeah. And like when I smell crayons, it takes me back to this time when I would sit in front 
of a uh, my door at my house. And when it was raining, I would have this big old bucket of crayons and I would color. So it would just take me, to, it was a nice time, you know, and the smell of fire burning will make you think of fall and s'mores For and, sure. and being outside by the campfire. And then the smell of pine makes you think of Christmas. Like these are all, you know, nice memories, but good triggers. Yeah, they're good triggers. But the other things will take us back to a really dark time. Mm-hmm. So you want me to talk about my triggers? Please do. Tell some stories. Okay. Well, pill bottles, the sounds of pill bottles. You can't really get away from the sounds of pill bottles, but Matt. I mean, I've got a goal not to take any pills at all, but some stuff you have to take, right? Well, you took them a lot even in you know early recovery. So Matt had a back injury when he was around 17 or 18 years old. Yeah. And he ended up on... Hydrocodone, pain pills. Oxy, hydrocodone, Valium, like all kinds of stuff. Yes. And then like all of his drugs of choices, his main drugs of choices were like all these different pills. So pill bottles were around the house all the time. And when he was in recovery, he would take a lot of Tylenol or ibuprofen or he would have pills. He, He wears a man purse. So if you know Matt, he has a man purse Yeah, and he carries it around. And if I would pick it up, I would hear pills. And oh, my little Aleve bottle or whatever Yeah, like in if there. you have an Aleve bottle in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I would pick it up and it would take me to a time of... Um, hey, by the way, it's a sling bag, okay? It's, just, it's, <laughs> it's a Patagonia sling bag. Like, it's great. I, I, I got it. the image of like me walking around like some designer handbag. It's not. It's like a... No, it's a little sling bag. It's like but an outdoor but, but like, sling bag. But you do get them for, but you get them for different seasons. Like he gets different colors for different seasons. Oh, I'm bougie season. about it. And it's the cutest thing ever. Right he now, is <laughs> typically the woman in our relationship. <laughs> okay. I'll take it. I don't care. Okay. I'll well, live with that. It's fine. Whatever. So, anyway, anytime he would take, he would, I, I could hear, hear pill bottles. It would take me de- back to a time whenever, you know, our relationship was very toxic. So that was a trigger. Um, running errands. Yeah, that was a big one, man. This one was, this one really hit me. This one would really be like, oh, ooh, something's going on. When Matt was in active addiction, and obviously we've talked about him being a closet addict, so I didn't really know that he was on drugs. Um, He lied a lot, but every weekend or even in the evening times, he would say, I got to go run some errands. I, I got to go to the store. Matt's running errands to the store. Wasn't a 30 minute trip to go grab milk. Two hours minimum. Oh God. I was going to say no, two hours. Like two hours it was minimum half a day typically. And I knew that whenever he said he had to go run errands, it was going to take forever for him to come back. And he would, he lied to me. Like you were constantly lying to me. We would, our whole entire day would be ruined. You would come home being, you know, you'd be effed up the rest of the day. Like that's what I equated long errands with. Yeah. Like I, I would get home and you would have been ready for hours. We're late to what we were going to. The day's basically ruined now. And that's how that, that I felt like developed. I was on the back burner at that time. Right. Yeah. You know, because and, you, you were, did, you I did mean, not you give a rat's ass about my feelings at that point. You were like, okay, she'll be fine with it. I'll be able to lie my way out of this. Like I usually do. She'll get over it. Everything will be fine. So in recovery, whenever he would run errands and he would be gone for a long time, it would trigger me. And I don't have, or I do have the location app on my phone, but I don't track Matt. I use it for my kids. I didn't have it back in the day either because for my mental health, I don't want to track my husband. I'm just throwing that out there. I don't want to do it. Even if it was going to build that back trust, it was too much for me. So I had to build back trust in another way. But if he was gone for long periods of time, it would make me feel like I was on the back burner or he was going to go, he was at a drug dealer's house or maybe he was going somewhere he wasn't supposed to be. So it would scare me. Yeah. It just would doing, me. doing something selfish basically. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and then ATM alerts. Whenever I had ATM alerts on my phone. Yeah. These were set up over, it, it took a little while for us to get there, but you would log into the account and be like, okay, we're broke. Why? What happened here? And she would see all these ATM withdrawals. And so I think one of your earlier financial boundaries, what you set up these alerts and we had to discuss what they were for, what it was about. And it made me more accountable mm-hmm. to show you what I was doing with the money. This is back when I was still using. Yes. And it was a pain in the butt for me because I was just trying to get high, mm-hmm. but it was, yeah, it made it rather difficult, but they would pop up and then, yeah, it just, it just brought that doom of, oh my God, here goes the money again. Right, because we were in the process of saving for a house. We wanted to move out and get our own place. We were newlyweds with a new baby. I was working 
full time. Um, and our, we were like in negative, we didn't have money. Yeah. We weren't any strangers to overdraft fees. Right. And we've talked about this before on the episodes where we did not like, we had to ask for, uh, extensions, extensions on, rent. on our rent. And it was when I started to detach from you because I was, that was like the last straw for me. Yep. I was like, financially, like I'm working my ass off, dude, and you're not going to be spending all of our money. That's not okay. Um, so in early recovery, I still had these ATM alerts on my phone. Yeah. And anytime they would pop up, I would be very triggered. I was like, holy crap. Like, are we going back down this road? It would take me back to a very, you know, dark time. You still have those alerts on your phone to this day, don't you? I do. And I, I, I get okay. them now too. Well, I turned them, I thought I turned them off, but I think that we don't do it anymore. So I don't see it, man. I think in the last 10 years, I've probably gotten cash out 10 times or less. Yeah. Like, and before it was multiple times a day sometimes Yep, and it yeah. was hundreds of dollars. It yeah. was not like, it wasn't like $20, 20 bucks. It was excessive. Oh my gosh. Yeah. See? Yeah. My habit near the end was, I mean, there were some days it was $300 a day to get by. And then on average though, probably 120 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So like, okay, those were my main triggers. And whenever we feel triggered, we may want to react. We go into this like survival mode. Our hearts start pounding. We get sweaty. Our brain doesn't stay present. We may want to lash out, yell, blame, tell our partner how they triggered us. Um, it releases a hormone, a stress hormone. Yeah, cortisol yes, and, and, and adrenaline. adrenaline. Yeah. Um, which over time can cause long-term stress, heart problems, weakened, weakened immune system. Like we were just talking about how, you know, some of the wheelies and some of even myself, whenever I, Matt was in active addiction, like our health suffered a lot. Oh man. Cortisol, like oh my gosh. chronic cortisol release is terrible for your health. Yeah. So bad for your health. Like it, it affects like your ability to lose weight. Um, it affects like the types of foods that you'll eat. Like it basically, it puts you into like, like, you know, around the holidays, everyone gets stressed and like everyone puts on about 15 pounds. Like mm -hmm. that's what it's like all the time All the time when you've got cortisol flowing through yep. your system always. Yep. It's bad, man. It's so bad for you. Yeah. So the triggers that we have may be caused by our partners. Yeah, they are typically. Yes. But it's our responsibility to manage them. So like I said, if you were traumatized by a storm, you cannot completely avoid storms. Yeah. You can't write mother nature a letter. Like, could you like, it really bothers me. I really appreciate you. Like, knocking could you it please off. stop? You know, but when we learn to manage them without making it someone else's responsibility, we can level it up like in our recovery. You know, people are going to open cans. People are going to run errands. People are going to open freezer doors. People are going to sleep in, you know, that's just what's going to happen. And I can show you and teach you how, I deal, dealt with my dealt. I dealt with my triggers and I hope that y'all can, you know, utilize it and it'll be beneficial for you. Yeah. And caveat and derailing us for just a moment here. We mentioned that this is, this information is going to be the most helpful for anyone who's got a partner in early sobriety or even maybe in sobri long-term sobriety and you just haven't really talked about the trigger stuff. You haven't talked about any of this stuff. Maybe like the tr a trigger is essentially an open wound it's an open wound that hasn't healed yet. So think about having an open wound. Like I've got one on my hand right now. Anytime that I rub it up against anything, I feel it. Like that's what a trigger is like. It's an emotional wound. It's still open. It has not healed yet. We can help them heal, but your environment has a great deal to do with how it heals. If you're, if you're wanting the solution of, Hey, my partner still is still on drugs today and they still drink today and things are still a mess today and you want the freedom of healing your triggers it's it's going to be nearly impossible if if not just impossible to do that because you're still in an environment where you're being cut every day yeah this stuff is still happening it's ongoing and that's what's so freaking hard and like let's just talk about the elephant in the room here for a moment let's just kind of pull back the curtain this is tough to say but and I'll just relate to my own experience because I don't ever want to speak like two people and give direct advice, but this is something that I've done. I've been in some really, really, really tough situations in my life, some really toxic situations. And I have used just about every psychological trick that I know spiritual trick as well to learn how to find peace in a storm, which is ultimately what I've challenged myself to do in sobriety. It's kind of what sobriety is like mm -hmm. inside of my head is it's crazy. Like It's like a lightning storm all the time. Like it's nuts in here. I promise you it is. 
you ever feel crazy, just remember that I'm probably 10 times crazier. <laughs> so to feel good about that, that you're not as bad as me, but I've, I've had to learn how to just cope with day-to-day life. And I took those same principles and I started to apply them to situations when I was sober of how, okay, so I'm in a really tough situation right now. How can I find serenity in it? Right? So I, I practice all the things we know how to do. Um, acceptance is probably the highest form of spirituality for me. And that essentially states that when I'm disturbed by some person, place, thing, or situation, what I'm really saying is that I don't accept reality for what it truly is. And if I'm going to find happiness anytime, I have to accept my reality for what it really is. Now I'm not talking about someone using drugs and physically and emotionally abusing me. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. And it was tough for me to even find days where I could get by and, and, and just what I'm talking about, which is some more relationship related stuff. Um, it's, it's incredibly difficult, if not impossible, because what's going to happen is that you can spend all day talking yourself off the cliff, getting to a place of acceptance. You can, you can pray, you can use mindfulness techniques, you can use grounding techniques, you can get yourself in a good place. And then what's going to happen the next day is that the trigger is going to happen again, because that person's still using, they're still doing all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so what you'll find is at some point, what, what I found, let me back up, not you, what I found was that I ultimately had to make the decision to get the hell out of that situation or it was never going to stop mm. because I couldn't change other people, but I did have a choice in what I exposed myself to. Boom. I had a choice every single day and what I was going to allow in my life and what I was going to allow to affect my peace. And I had a choice in some of that stuff. And like, I, I hate to, to tell people this, but it's, it's a fact is that this relationship, if it doesn't work out, it won't be because you didn't try. Yeah. It's, it's not all up to you. It's not. It's not all up to the listener who wants someone to get sober. The larger burden is on them to get sober. The fact of the matter is that most people don't do it. They just don't get sober. Mm-hmm. They either don't want to see that they have a problem or they see they have a problem, but they're convinced nothing will work for them. And maybe they'll try to control it in a million different ways. But it's a process of trial and error that could take decades before they finally see okay, I think I really do just need to stop and, and get serious about this. But in the meantime, you're going to be exposed to this stuff day in, day out, every single day. So you might have a couple good days, but it's coming back if you're still in that environment. Like it's really hard, if not impossible, to heal in the same environment that got you sick. Mm-hmm. So I just want, before we go any further, for people that are like, okay, what's the answer to be happy while he's still drinking and still emotionally abusive and he's using drugs and the ATM, the money's gone, like... That situation is not going to get a whole hell of a lot better while you're inside of it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you listen to our first episode on triggers, I think that we covered some of this stuff mm-hmm. and we've even covered some mindfulness techniques in some of our early episodes about spirituality and some other things that, that could be helpful to you. Like I have found, I have found gratitude to be an extremely effective way to get me out of some funks when people are not, not acting right, when yeah. they're not treating me right. And I can, I can find relative peace in a really bad situation, but overall that situation is not never going to change as long as I'm in it because it's not up to me. Right. It's the other people around me that are treating me this way. Right. As long as I allow them to even have access to me, I'm going to keep getting the same thing. Right. Like it's unlikely that some magical moments going to occur where they just go, Oh, Hey, I've been treating you poorly. We should, I should stop doing that. Yeah. Some people do it. Like I, I did that. I know other people that have done that, but I know far more that didn't just wanted to mention that before we go further. A quick break in the action to let you know about an exciting development in the Tufo universe. When we started this thing, we said we would never work with an advertiser or company unless it's something that we believed in and we already use. If you're looking for professional, affordable mental health care, look no further than Taylor Counseling Group, your trusted source for accessible therapy in Texas. Taylor Counseling Group believes that everyone deserves premium mental health care, regardless of their income level. That's why they offer reliable and affordable services at 12 locations across Texas. They've made affordability a priority. They are in network with most major insurance, and the standard private rate is only $100 per session, significantly lower than many other practices offering the same high-quality therapy. They believe that getting the help you need shouldn't drain your wallet. Scheduling an appointment is quick and easy with their convenient online booking tool. No complicated processes or long wait times. They value your time and ensure that you can access the care you deserve without any hassle. At Taylor Counseling Group, they believe in a personalized approach to therapy. Professionally trained counselors offer a diverse range of services, including individual counseling, couples counseling, family therapy, play therapy for children, and even specialized techniques like cognitive processing and existential 
Psychotherapy. They're here to help you navigate life's challenges and develop a personalized treatment plan tailored to your unique goals. Taylor Counseling Group is your partner on the path to mental wellness. Experience professional, affordable care that puts you first. Visit their website, taylorcounselinggroup.com, or call them today to schedule an appointment and tell them two full couples sent you. A link and phone number is going to be available in the show notes. And back to the action. Yeah, it's like if you hear the sound of a can opening and you're in it, the person who is opening the can is probably opening a beer who is going to, you know, have a drink and there will be some of the yelling and, you know, all the abusive stuff that goes along with that. But if you're out of it and you hear the sound of a can opening, it's going to probably be a sparkling water. So you right. have to look at the reality of that situation. It doesn't, the abuse is not going to go along with that. Yeah. Like, like all the, like all, your feelings around this are valid. Like, yes. like even today, if Paige gets upset about like an ATM withdrawal alert, man, I completely get why. Yeah. And that's a valid feeling because for so long this happened. Yeah. But now it's the ball's more in your court than it is in mine. Yeah. And it's more your responsibility to learn how to manage your peace. Yep. Then it is my job to to change that. Exactly. You know, I can certainly help, but but let's say we're still in it. Right. The responsibility is more on me and you have little to no control. Yeah. You've just got to play mind games with yourself. You've got to get you've got to work really 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 hard to find peace in the storm. Yep. It's and it's damn near impossible. And what I'm saying is that for me anyway, it's more trouble than it was worth. Right. Right. Okay, so I want to talk about what to do whenever you do feel like you have that trigger come on. So I'm going to say what I did in my experience and what has helped me throughout the years. Yeah. So once you feel that trigger, take a deep breath. It's going to regulate your nervous system. Um, it'll help reduce the levels of the stress hormones that we talked about earlier in your body. And when you're stressed or you're anxious, your body releases these hormones and the deep breathing can help counter counteract this response yeah man deep breathing like the oh my gosh flow of oxygen to your brain like like do i, I do these big four second in four second hold four seconds out yep. and, and i do that at minimum six times but as many times as i need to start to feel regulated yes it you brings start to feel you, peaceful it brings you to the present moment yeah start because what peaceful. triggers do it takes you to a time another time right it takes your body to another time so when you breathe you focus on that breath it's going to bring you more back to the, to present. the present and that's what's so important and it seems so simple but it's like it's in, it's incredible. The breathing techniques really work for me. Now, the next part will be if you feel comfortable bringing it up to your partner, like we said, if this is your sober partner, approach the subject from a non-judgmental, calm manner. Remember, this is about how you're feeling, not about how your partner and what they did to cause the, the trigger. This is where healthy communication comes into play. Oh, yeah. So when I know that a lot of people... Because I know how I felt when I was triggered. I would want to respond in a way, like in a blameful way to say, look what you, you know, look, look what you did. Feelings. Look you what you did. How, you how dare you make me feel this way? But I, I didn't do that. Matt and I had a discussion about this recently. I asked you, I was like, did I ever come at you? Because I felt like I didn't. I know that I might have wanted to come at you, but I don't think I did. No. Okay. No, you, you didn't like come in like a spider monkey, like, no, like not with crazy, my triggers, volatile, like screaming, anything like that. Right. No. Because I knew that you were in a place of trying to build back trust. So I had to give that to you. So whenever I would have it, I would take that moment, take the breath. I'd call Matt and I'd say something along the lines of like, Hey, I saw you took money out of the account. You know, what's this for? And he would tell me specifically what it says. And I would be like, okay, this is a trigger for me. And I just wanted to let you know how I feel. Mm -hmm. And he would, we would like talk it out and he would just let me know it's okay. Sometimes we would laugh about it too. You know, we would kind of go back and be like, oh yeah, that's funny. You're triggered about this, but I mean, I'm here for you. I understand it. You'd give me space. Um, or I would laugh about it, you know, like, yeah, I don't think is, I ever made fun of you. No, you did. I was like, no, 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 no. But I would laugh about it. Like, oh my gosh, this is silly. But then I realized that we would talk it out and that's just how we would communicate. Um, he would always give me space because he knew that it was earned distrust yes um like did you stop getting money out of the atm no not totally no did you stop running errands no still gotta do that did you stop taking tylenol because it was triggering no still gotta do that sometimes right so he notifies me before he gets money out like he'll discuss the length of the errands now if he's going somewhere and i don't like i said i don't follow him on an app or anything like that but we have open communication and we don't judge each other. So what would you say to 
the addict partner, how would you tell them to react to somebody who, to their partner who brings up a trigger? I mean, this comes up all the time with people that I'm working with in early sobriety. I, I heard it first. I'm like, again, like I'm not some kind of like genius that figured this out on my own. I, I heard it from somebody when I was in treatment who was talking about triggers and things that happened. And he, um, he coined this, this, uh, this phrase earned distrust and that there's earned distrust. And that the reason that you don't have any trust between you and your partners, because you earned it, you earned that distrust. And now the ball's in your court to learn how to manage yourself out of that. And so I, I remember early on, maybe even day one, I came out and I'd let you know that like, you can feel however you need to feel about my recovery and the triggers that will pop up and things that will happen. And I always held space for you to feel however you needed to feel. Even if you jumped on me, like I remember there was, I think maybe one of the the earlier ATM withdrawals, like you had the alert and you let me know, like, I think you even said like, that's a major trigger for me. Like I saw this and as I'm hearing it and you weren't, you weren't like being aggressive, but I could hear your tone in your voice. Like you were definitely hurt and you were coming at me from a place of stress mm -hmm. and anxiety and I'm hearing it. And like my, you know, just don't fight back. Like, don't like, I know you'll, you'll want to defend yourself, but do your best just to sit there and just let them listen. Just listen, just let them talk and hear them out. And I would always just say, I completely understand why you would feel that way. Mm -hmm. I, I totally get it because for X amount of years I was doing this and then lying to you about it. But this time I'm, I'm buying a pair of Yeezys or whatever I'd be doing, buying a <laughs> pair of Jordans or sneakers or something like that. You know, your next addiction. Yeah. So I would, I would be doing something like that. And then I would say, so in order to make this easier, I will let you know long before I make this purchase. And then I'll let you know before I get the money out so that you're not just, you know, like, I don't know, writing an episode, hanging out around the house or running your own errands. And all of a sudden you get this alert that takes you back to 2010. And it's like, Oh my God, here we go again. This way, at least you'll know. And I will also come home with shoes to show you like where the money went. <laughs> <laughs> Here they are. And you'll say, those are ugly. Why'd you buy those? But anyway, it's communication around it and just holding space for people's emotions, I think mm -hmm. is the most important thing. Like even errands, there have been, like, there was one not long ago where I had to get Nicorette gum. Mm -hmm. So that's like something I chew every so often. Like just every chew. so often. Yeah. It's like my thing. Like I have two <laughs> vices. One of them is like Nicorette gum and the other one's coffee. black coffee. Yeah. And um, I had to go get Nicorette gum we had a storm and it knocked the power out at the drugstore. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, I got to go to another one. Mm -hmm. And I used to, I used to do this crap all the time when mm -hmm. I was using it. It's like, Oh, well they didn't have it. So I had to go to a different yeah. one. I had to go to like three places to find it. And I was calling you each time and I was laughing. I'm like, I know how this sounds. <laughs> like I know exactly. I used like, I totally get it. If you're upset about this, or if you got your doubts, yeah, I completely understand where you're at. And then once I give you, once I validate it and I let you know that it's okay to feel the way you feel, mm -hmm. then you usually laugh about it and you're like, yeah, this is like, this is tough. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's much easier for it's me a, to process it's it. It's a little weird for me. And then we're like, we kind of joke about it then. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well, I'll be home in, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And right. I'll stay in touch with you. And communication helps a ton around this stuff. But you've got to understand that if distrust exists, you don't get to be defensive over it. You get to sit there and just listen to them and let them process it. And I have this come up with people that I work with too. They'll call me and it's like, hey, man, I've been sober for nine months. I've been working really hard. I've been doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. And my wife jumped on me today for, there was a guy who was like wanting to make a purchase of some kind. I forgot what it was, but didn't really discuss it with her. And he didn't make the purchase, but he was like basically on the fence about, he'd already done all the research. He just needed her to say, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was a huge trigger for her because in her, in her mind, it was like, this is what you did when we were, when you were using, it was like the selfishness. You yep. never involved me, even, even your thoughts leading up to it. You would just come to me and say, I'm doing this thing. And it was triggering. He's like, well, I think at this point I've earned back. And I was like, Oh, time out. Hang nope. on. No, <laughs> No, like they could be there for years. It might always be there. Yeah. But you have to understand why it is. And so right. your part in all of this is just to let them know that you understand why that exists. Yeah. And then if you really want to be a gentleman about it, go the extra mile and how about have a, have a, you know, have a healthy communication or have healthy communication around how could I make that easier for them? How could I involve them more in my thoughts and, and sort of eliminate it in the first place? Like you can nip it in the bud before it ever gets there. Yeah. And I think that that's something that we've done up to, like now that's what it looks like. Yeah. Like the ATM withdrawals, like even like, like sleeping in, like I don't do it a whole heck of a lot. 
But I know that was a big one for you because I'd sleep till noon or one o'clock. Oh, three o'clock some days. Damn, that's a, such a waste of time. I know, but right? Now it's like you you let me do it. I think early on you probably felt really weird about it. I did. And but now it's like I think you're like okay, he needs sleep. Like he's been working oh, yeah. really hard. I don't like even think his... much about it anymore. Yeah, but it's, it's gotten to a point where the trust is built. I, I think that you, you work really hard at something, and it's like you expect to see something come back from that. And in recovery, you expect your partner, your spouse, to be okay with things way before they will be. And that works both ways. We come out of treatment and our partners and spouses think we're going to go back to being a family again. Like, right. Mm -hmm. Like we're totally cool. No, you're going to get a zombie who sits around, doesn't know how to navigate anything. Doesn't talk to you because they don't know how yet. Yeah. It's like a brand new person. Like you are not going to get back the same person that left. But here's my question. Why would would you you want want that that person back? Right. That's the person that screwed the whole deal up in the first place. Yep. You know, it's yep. like <laughs> there's this, uh, there's this artist, um, it's on Instagram at B L K S M T H at mm-hmm. it's like a blacksmith. Oh yeah. yeah. He does these balloon, oh, the balloon, balloon art. I, I love it. And there's this one that I always thought was greatness. It says, what's wrong, babe. You're not acting like the romanticized version of you. I thought you were. Mm-hmm. And like that happens, like underlying a lot of this stuff, like that happens. Mm-hmm. It's like, we expect people to act a certain way because that's how they are in our head. Yes. We've created like their own personality and like who they can be based on their potential mm-hmm. and a couple of situations or actions where they were really awesome. It's like, oh, that's my boo. Yep. That's the person I want. Yeah. That's the dude I want. Like, no, like it starts over in recovery. It does. You get a new Absolutely. person. Absolutely. You're a totally different person. Like, I mean, there are some things like that. There's some quirky things that you have from when I first met you, but still there. You're yeah. But you're still pretty much like a totally different person. Yeah. And when you got sober. And the danger in that is that sometimes this person that comes out and even like, even after like a year or so, you'll be like, look at each other and say, we don't really get along that well. Like, yeah. We're just not really freaking compatible. Right. Like I want to make that. I want to be honest about that. Make that clear that I've seen that happen many times as well, where someone comes out of treatment and it's just like, man, like, I'm a totally different person. Like the person that you knew wasn't really me at all. Like if I'm being real and authentic about it, this is who I really am. And you'll, as a partner be like, that's not what I signed up for. Yeah. I, I kind of liked some of the stuff before, but if this is what we're talking about now, maybe I'm not interested either. Right. Like it's a scary time. There's no guarantees in this game. Yeah. Like I, I hate that about us though, because I think people will see us. And the first thing they're attracted to is like, Oh, we could be just like them. And you're right. You could, mm-hmm. but it's, it's possible, but there are also several other possibilities. Yeah. That it's not, it's like, I don't know, maybe like a roulette wheel. Like you could oh, yeah. get this or you could get something totally, totally different. Totally different, right. Or it could be what I think what most people do is that they, they become so empowered that they're like, you know what? I can be truly happy, live an authentic life on my own with or without this person. Mm-hmm. But I think I want to do it without them because it's easier. I don't have to deal with the triggers, the back and forth. And like, I love them, mm-hmm. but if I'm going to have to leave them in the reality that they've chosen for themselves mm-hmm. and I love you, but I can't do this anymore. And they walk their own path. Like that's another possibility. Yeah. But these triggers are still going to come up in other relationships probably too. Yeah. You'll find someone who had nothing to do do with with it. And then you're going to hear a can and think, Oh "Oh, man. Yeah. That's why we have to learn to cope with them. Yes. And why it's not typically, it's not the other person's responsibility. Yes. They may have caused it, but we're the ones that are responsible for coping. with Which it. kind of sucks. It's like it someone like threw baggage on your front porch. Oh, and it left does. It there. It's like, Hey, this is your problem. Oh, it now. totally sucks. It totally sucks. But so on our part, it's going to be coming at it in a calm manner and in an open communication where you just talk about how it made you feel and not how the other person was really triggering you. It's just like, this is how I feel when this happens. And that's just, that's just healthy communication in a marriage. It just is. I agree. Um, so if you feel like you cannot really talk with this person or maybe your triggers are even, they won't go away after you've discussed it. Here are some other techniques that you can use to kind of, um, kind of manage the trigger. So yeah. like we talked about earlier, the grounding techniques, um, self-care, make sure you're taking care of yourself because it does create resilience and it reduces the stress over time. Self-care, like exercising and um, eating right. It's it's important because it is going to help your levels, like your stress levels. It'll help your stress levels and it also helps you become proud of the person that you see in the mirror. Yeah. Like not, not just physically, not just physically. Like no. The, the physical benefits like so small. Like that part is like, that's neat and all. Like when right. I started to get fit, I, I wasn't doing it because I wanted to look like a, like a men's health cover guy. Mm-hmm. 
like I look like that now, but that's just been a byproduct of just trying to get my mind right. Right. Like I go to the gym now and it's, it's truly, it's, it's self-care. It's like, man, I'm stressed. I feel like my self-esteem is crap. Like I'm not feeling myself at all. Like I just, I, I've got to lift some heavy crap, set it back down. Yeah. If you have break a, a sweat, if you have that trigger, like go do something like turn up some loud music and get your heart rate going and get that anger out on something. And you will feel a little bit better when you're done. You absolutely will. Yeah. Um, meditation, like we talked about earlier too, meditation helped me throughout a lot of triggers. Um, when the first year of my recovery, it just gets you practicing being in the present moment. Uh, cognitive distortions. We've talked about this a little bit, but if you change your thought patterns, we actually have a website for a worksheet that'll help you with a specific trigger. If you want to write it down, we have, um, how you can work through it and process it on your own to kind of shift your mind to where it'll be a little bit more positive and help you get through it. So if you want to check out TWFO.com, um, I, I think it's called change your patterns or something like that. Your thought patterns. Okay. And then journal to identify your triggers. Cause a lot of the times, like I, there were some triggers that I have that had that I didn't identify until I went into therapy. So if you can just identify them, it's easier to manage them. So write them down, talk with a support group, people who are going through the same thing. So you don't feel so crazy. Like in our community, people will go in there and talk about their triggers and they're like, I know I sound crazy, but this is what's happening. And we're all like, uh, you're not crazy. This is very yeah. common. It is part of the, the situation and experience. We're all going through it. So we totally understand. Um, if your triggers are completely unmanageable and you feel like you need extra help, like panic attacks and stuff and your stress is getting in the way of your daily life. Get with a therapist that specializes in trauma. Yeah. That's man. The power of therapy is just, it's, it doesn't, it's not a quick fix. And I think that that might frustrate people at times. It takes time. It takes time and you will take one step forward to back, but over time it's, it's not a linear path, right? It's, it's, it's up and down, up and down, mm -hmm. up and down. But if you stick with it, one to two years consistently going and wanting to get better as you're going, yeah. you'll, you'll have breakthroughs along the way. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it takes two years before you feel better. You'll feel better, but to really, really heal and process through some things. Yeah. You got to invest some time in it, mm -hmm. but it's so worth it. Yep. It's so worth it. You know, like we'll sign up for loans on crap that we don't need. Like we'll finance a TV, but we won't spend the money on therapy or mental health or any of that kind of stuff. It's just kind of wild, but it should be backwards, backwards, right? We should really focus on that stuff first. Yeah. Like I know it's a commitment. It's because it's not tangible. Yeah, it's not, but it, God, man, it's so worth it. It is like amazing. You only have one life to live, man. Yeah. It's huge. And any advice I, that I, I would give to, to, I guess the, the addict out there in your life or the, the person who's in recovery and they, aren't so kind about your triggers, stop being an ass. That's my word. You can tell them I said that. I don't care. I can take the punches and arguments, whatever, but there's earned distrust. And these things exist because of a situation that I put us in. I put us here. I, I was the one who I was the one that derailed us. The addiction derailed us and I have to deal and I have to clean up a lot of that stuff, which means that I have to become a participant in your mental health journey mm -hmm. and any way that I can be helpful. I want to be helpful. I never want you to feel like you're not allowed to feel a certain way. I never want you to feel like you're alone in this deal. And I just, I want partners to start supporting. I really do. And I cannot wait until the day that we get workshops where we've got, you know, 20 to 30 couples together and we can have these kinds of conversations yeah. and we can have these live and we can do some, um, some, some work where it's like, okay, I want you to validate that feeling and tell me what that felt like. And how does that feel? And what I'm having a thought, what to give me your thought. <laughs> Are you ready for this? Sure. <laughs> I don't know if I am actually you look you're giving me right now. Okay. So, and that's all we have for this episode. <laughs> all right. So you've always allowed me to have space for my triggers and stuff, right? Like it's never really been a problem, but oh, okay. validating my feelings on like stuff that don't necessarily have to do with you, I guess that took a lot longer. It did. Think yeah, about that. Like it you did. were, I guess whenever you were validating me with my trigger or with the triggers and stuff, it's like, it's okay, totally validating. You could totally, you were I was like, doing that you're, day like one. you're like, Oh, I can, I can accept this. I can understand. But actually validating my feelings on anything else that you thought was like stupid or the things that I wasn't responsible for that you weren't responsible for. And you'd be like, Oh, you're sensitive. That's stupid. And then I would, I would basically write you a, 
you know, like a, like a peer review paper. It's like, Oh, here's, here's how you, sh- here's why you this shouldn't feel that way. Here's how to get out of it. This is how, here's my, here's and my I'll advice. This you is how invoice. you fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Think about, I just, I don't know. I don't know why I connected that, but it's yeah, just, that's it's, interesting. Let's explore that for just a moment. Uh, <laughs> since it's the end of the episode, most people have already checked out, but that's <laughs> interesting. So I, I guess if I, and you're right, you're absolutely right. This, this did occur. And my first, my first thought about the response would be something along the lines of, so when I'm responsible for it, it was easier for me to see a solution mm-hmm. to getting past that. And it was also easier to see for me why it existed in the first place. Mm-hmm. And when it didn't concern me directly, I would offer solutions. I would offer fixes and I would show you how to apply that same logic to, to, to get out of that thought. Mm-hmm. Like, and that was my biggest problem for so very long anyway, is that it's like, you didn't need a coach. You needed a husband. Yeah. It's like, dude, I'm not one of your clients or one of these people that you work with. Like I'm your, I'm your wife. Like I have, I just need to know that I'm not crazy. I need to know that I can have these feelings. Right. Where I'm Even just, if you didn't agree with them. I mean, this, this is, this is one of my just in general, one of my flaws is that I'm a fixer. And anytime someone brings me a problem, I'm my brain automatically goes to like even before you're finished talking, I'm constructing a solution for you. I'm already going through like okay, yeah, yeah, it's okay. not active listening. No, I do not. I'm terrible at active listening. <laughs> We've talked about that yes, before. But I'm already creating solutions to get you out of that because I mean I don't want you to feel this way. Let me come up with a solution that will get you past that, which is totally wrong and is the worst thing you can do for someone is just show them the way out. Mm-hmm. The best thing you can do is love them, support them, validate them, and then let them figure out how to give get them out of advice. That. If they ask for it, like if you don't figure it out yourself, you never really learned it anyway, you know, like, and if you wanted advice, you would ask me for advice. Mm-hmm. And I think that I always assumed that anytime you brought me in a, a problem, it comes from like work stuff. I think yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. If, no, if, if you've ever been a boss or manager anywhere, like that's what people do. They come to you and they say, here, here's a problem. I need a solution here. Yeah. And I guess I started to apply that in my own relationship, which is terrible. Don't do that. Don't do that. It is, does not make for a happy marriage at all. Yeah. I think that gets kind of where my thought process was, but it's much easier now to just, to shut up, listen, shut my mind off and listen to exactly what you're saying and just validate just, you along the way. I just had to connect the two because it was kind of interesting how, because I feel like the opposite would be for me. Like if you were triggered by something that I would, that I did, I think it would kind of piss me off. You would get defensive about it. Right. I would get, de- I would get defensive. But like when you come to me with problems that don't direct, you're so I'm, validating, I'm very like, I'm just, I mean, sometimes I'll throw in my two cents, but I'm not trying to fix it for you. It's more of my yeah. opinion. It's like, like, well, this is what I would do, you know, but I'm not judging you for what you're going through or telling you how to fix it. I'm you're usually right. just there for but you. If it's any, any but if it's I'm something like, hey, that it's like, this, hey, you I need felt. to do that. This is how I feel. I would, I think I you would start, get defensive. You start gaslighting me and telling me, no, oh, I know what I did. <laughs> Yeah. I wonder what that's about. I don't know, man. We're crazy. I don't know. We just process this though. <laughs> Maybe like I'll do better if you ever come up with something that's tri- like yelling was always a trigger for you. Yeah. Me. I mean, like I know why it was a trigger, but it would make me mad because I'm like, this is just who I am. You know, it's kind of stupid. Man, we're never finished projects, are we? No. No matter how, how squared away you think anyone is, we're never finished projects. And that's I don't know. I, I kind of love that. I love that this is a game with no end. I know, right? You just have to be good at playing the game. It's fun. Yeah, I love it. At I this point, it. it wasn't before. Like for a while, it wasn't fun. But the beginning of fun. the game is not very fun. <laughs> no. Reading the instructions, setting it up. But once you start getting in <laughs> like, it. Like get into it's it. It's awesome. Yeah. And there's no end and I, I never see. And the, the benefits aren't like, like there's no diminishing returns on the benefits either. It just keeps getting better and better and better and better. Mm-hmm. And keeps leveling up. Like there's no end. Like sky's the limit, man. Yeah. It's good stuff. All right. Well, I think that does it here, right? Yeah. You got anything else? No, 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 man. Just be, be gentle with your triggers. Be gentle with yourself as you're processing those things. And just understand like Paige said that if you've got someone in recovery, like I I would, I would wish I could just shake them and tell them like, Hey, you need to be more cognizant of this stuff and you need to be hold space. But if they don't, there's still work that you can do to get past these things. Mm -hmm. And you know, Paige gave some really awesome suggestions that are really effective and they actually work. Yep. These aren't just guesses like, oh, you could probably do that. that no, no, no. Happen. This is stuff this is that like we stuff do. That we actually practice and right. this has worked in our lives. Yep. Or we wouldn't be sharing it. Exactly. Like, this is this stuff's <laughs> effective, truly effective. Yep. So we appreciate you guys being here. We appreciate all the support support we've been getting. Like the podcast is growing, the community's growing. Like the word is getting out. Like we're 
we're getting referred out from all different places. And it's awesome watching this, this movement grow, which is really, it's, it's a movement at this point. It's mm-hmm. not just, Hey, these, these two people have got some good things to say. Like they're really saying some stuff and there could be some like sizable change in industries that don't even know it's coming yet, but it's coming. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to, like I said, I, I, I just, I always look forward and I'm always hopeful. I believe in brighter tomorrows and I believe in a brighter tomorrow for spousal and family recovery. When it comes to addiction, I look forward to the day where we've got, you know, we've got a convention we've got thousands of people attending. And like th- th- these conversations look much different than they do today before people discover us Yeah, because the first time they discover us, it's generally like, Holy crap. I didn't know I was allowed to say this kind of stuff or feel yeah. this kind of way or right. any of that. Right. Like I want this to be the standard man. Mm-hmm. And then I want some other people to take what we've done here and then take and that build even further. It. Yes. And yes. Like just let's, let's grow this. Let's blow this thing up. Like right. we can really help people. We can save people years of misery mm-hmm. if we really start to have these discussions and get people the help they need. Yeah. So thank you all for being here and thank you for the support. Like I can't tell you how much it means to us. And right. like we do our best to get back to DMs, emails and things like that, but there's a lot of them. And like we try to pick a couple of day to respond to. Mm-hmm. So if we haven't responded, it's not, we just don't care. Like we just, it's just a lot. So, <laughs> but we, but we appreciate it. I can't tell you how much it means to us. Like it's, it's nuts. It's awesome. We love you all. And like we always say that we will love you until you can love yourselves. Yep. And we're here for you. Uh, you're not alone in any of this stuff. So, and if you're not in our community, please check it out. Uh, if you click any of our social media profiles, it'll bring up a bunch of TUFO links. And one of those is the community. You can check us out there. And it's a great place to stay in touch with us. Uh, not on a one-on-one basis, but it's a great place to just know what's happening in, in, in our world. And with TUFO, we have community calls, which I think we've got coming up this week. We should have one. Yeah. Not, nothing definite yet, but keep an eye out. Yeah. If it's announced, it'll be announced in the community. Yeah. So that's where you get access to it that's where the link is and the password and all that good stuff yep awesome Paige thanks for carrying us through this thing thanks for chiming in I do my best thanks for letting me boss (laughs) oh shut up (laughs) (laughs) alright until next time I am Matt I'm Paige and we'll see you bye